0: Travelling through another dimension, dimension. a dimension not only of sight and sound but of mind, mind. a journey into a wondrous land land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead, your
1: next stop, the Twilight Zone. Tonight I welcome a guest, not from another dimension but from a galaxy far, far away. And I'll ask him to explain more about that in a moment. But we are, of course, here to talk about Episode 8 of Twilight Zone 2019, Point of Origin. And it gives me great personal pleasure to welcome tonight's guest, Mark Ramsey. Welcome to the Twilight Zone podcast.
0: Tom, I am so honored to be here. As I told you before we started, I'm so nervous about this. So... Let's have some fun. I I couldn't be more excited.
1: You know, the thing is, Mark, I think there's probably going to be quite a lot of people out there who recognize your voice already and recognize your name. As I've said to you before, and I don't mind saying it publicly, when it comes to podcasting, you you really are top tier for me. You're one of those people who I think really raises what you can do with a podcast uh, creatively to that next level. And I'm really so glad to have one of my podcasting heroes on the show. So tell us about you and what you do.
0: Sure. Well, I really appreciate that, and I'll try and be quick. But uh, I'm the uh, creator of a series uh, of podcasts with Wondery called uh, the Inside Series. So we did Inside mm. Psycho. We did Inside Jaws, Inside the Exorcist. We've got Inside Star Wars coming in about uh Oh, about uh, two weeks, less than two weeks, uh-huh. actually, and uh, they're all uh, kind of insider looks about the makings of these movies and the people behind them and what they went through and the forces and all that kind of stuff, and it's its really ambitious, it's really immersive, and uh, they're like little audio biopics, and I'm, I'm thrilled to kind of come here and, and share that with your listeners and also uh, pipe in on something that you know a lot more about than I
1: do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, you, you have this wonderfully unique format, which is part commentary, part recreation. And, you, you know, tell us about that format, how you came up with it.
0: Well, I like to call it kind of audiographic novel, right? Mm. Short scenes, heavy narration, but also kind of vocal recreations of, of dialogue that happened at the time. It's all my voice. So it's kind of done in the form of a storyteller around a campfire. Um, I'm not imitating any, I'm not doing Hitchcock, I'm not doing George Lucas, but I'm trying to kind of convey what happened at the time and do the different voices without doing imitations and Uh create a story. Really what I'm trying to do is get to the nub of the story behind the story and talk about why it matters, you know, I mean, and this is something we can talk about with regard to Twilight Zone, but it's fair to ask questions like, why do you do that? Why do you make this episode? You know, why do mm. I do an audio series on Star Wars? It's because there's a story underneath that and I want that story to emerge and that's what the series is really about.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I um, I came on board with uh, Psycho and I, I've been mm-hmm. there ever since. Um, you know, I, I love the horror stuff but I, I'm really looking forward to Star Wars can you give us a few details about that yet I know it's coming up so you probably don't want to say too much
0: well we've got all all, six of the seven episodes are are approved and ready to go we'll have the seventh done within the next week it's going to be just vast we're going to start in the sands of the Tunisian desert on day one of shooting then we're going to go Mm -hmm. back to the origin of George Lucas and what he went through the terrible accident that almost killed him that changed his life immeasurably Uh, the travails he had to go through in order to get the movie made um, and some really cool side stories, like the story of Carrie Fisher, which is really at the heart of the Star Wars story now. And I, we go all the way from the beginning of Carrie to Carrie's untimely death and her legacy, which is in episode seven, the last episode. And I think mm-hmm. it's it's really timely uh, that the story be told now, because one of the things in my, in my uh, uh, podcast conversation with Lucas, one of the things that he says... As i wrote it is that uh she's he still sees her he still sees princess leia everywhere because she's in the eyes of young women um and all women everywhere and i think based on what's going on politically in the us right now that's a relevant message
1: great great okay now the intro episode is out there the kind of teaser which is handy because people can now subscribe and kind of be ready for when it starts can't they but have you got a an online base that people can go to to get all those subscription links
0: yes yeah, super easy if you just uh, go to insidestarwars.com, it'll take you to whatever the right place is for your device and you can subscribe from there but it is obviously free it's it's hugely ambitious we're so excited mm-hmm. about this i'm really proud of it Um, and I think, um, I think you're going to like it. I think really, everybody's going to like it. And again, you know, in line with what the purpose of the twilight zone is, um, there's a theme underneath that's bigger than the story itself. And that theme has to do with, you know, when you, when you achieve everything you want to achieve and then you go and sell it to Disney, what's left. Mm. And maybe that's the thing you wanted all along. And I think right. that kind of a message is really going to hit people pretty uh, pretty strongly, so I'm excited about it.
1: Fantastic. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, so I've always been immensely proud that uh, someone of your stature in podcasts and listens to my little show, but have you been watching along with the new Twilight Zone? Uh, and give us some general thoughts on that.
0: I have, and and um, I, I, I'll speak generally before we get into the episode, but mm. you, first of all, it looks great. Ah, uh, Jordan Peele's credentials are impeccable, obviously, and mm-hmm. um, and the show is just tremendously ambitious. It's it's at a level of ambition that would be impossible were it not on a an on-demand uh, paid service. So we have to mm. thank CBS for that. Um, I have no doubt that if this were uh, so-called over-the-air, uh, it'd be gone by now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we should be grateful for that. So my feelings about the series itself are more complicated, and we can get into that when we talk about the the individual episode. But, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, just to tease it for you, I feel like people have uh, read the, the, uh, the, 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 the prose of Twilight Zone, the, the, the makers have read the prose of Twilight Zone and missed some of the poetry. And I, I think that's kind of an ongoing theme. Um, as I watch these episodes, before we started, you said to me, you know, you were you were hoping for a kind of a different tone in the episode after Not All Men, and as I said, we kind of didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I this is just one thought that I had, uh, and it's apart from this episode, really has to do with the whole series. But you know, one of the great things about the Twilight Zone is that it it taught us how to be human um, mm. by showing us worlds that were not. And I I feel like. Some of those stories of humanity, not just stories of, you know, justice and um, uh, struggle and um, uh, fairness and equity and all the other things that were concerns of Rod Serling, but, you know, stories of how to live a better life as a human. Uh-huh. I'm not seeing those. Um, you know, I, I, I heard recently your treatment of the Jack Klugman uh, episode of the original series of Passage for Trumpet. Hmm. I haven't seen that and uh, the, in the current uh, formula, and I wonder if they don't want to make it, they haven't gotten to it yet, or if they have kind of drunk their own Kool-Aid, so to speak, and are committed to making a show that is so quote-unquote important that it sometimes fails to be um, human.
1: Interesting. That's a that's a fascinating point of view on it. And I'd really like to come back to that after this one, because uh, the kind of threads of that are certainly... We'll certainly have more to say on that after the end of this one. So if we can come back to that, sure. Mark, that would be great. Okay, so you're ready to go? Should we get into this one? Let's do it. Okay, let's do a first broadcast on the 16th of May, 2019. Written by John Griffin and directed by Matthias Handel. Eve Martin is a well-to-do housewife who lives with her husband and two children in an affluent American neighborhood. She has a maid called Anna who she considers to be a part of her family. Or so she says, but Eve often has the nagging sensation that something about her wonderful life isn't quite right. Both Anna and Eve are taken into custody and we discover that they are both refugees from another dimension but their presence has been discovered and now they're in danger of being sent back. Okay, Mark, so clearly this this is an episode that is about something and our initial scenes where Eve is going around the house with her kind of party planners and then we have a conversation between her and her housekeeper, Anna, I feel that quite early on, I kind of know where this episode is going. <laughs> how, how, how did you feel about it? I, I think
0: one of the problems with this episode, and it has, I think, many, is that um, you can't help but know where this episode is going. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, you know, I, I, it's like it, it, this is one of those episodes where I found myself frequently saying, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. I get it. Um, mm-hmm. because so much of it was kind of a predict- predictable trajectory i think at the beginning they're clearly trying to set up this idea that this woman this hoity-toity uppity you know uh, affluent woman in this affluent household in this affluent neighborhood with this affluent family um, is oblivious to what's going on in her own household with her own nanny uh, housekeeper and um i i here's what i thought as i as i kind of Uh, process that a little bit I thought you know that's that's an experience which most of us can't relate to Mm. Um, unless you're living in the Hollywood Hills which of course is probably where John Griffin and the rest of the folks making this episode live and I thought you know let's compare it to an original Twilight Zone episode where someone switches places right which is what happens here Uh uh-huh uh, and I'm thinking of A Quality of Mercy, mm. the one with Dean Stockwell, where he's, he's, he's uh, in the military, it's in the Pacific Theater, they're about to kill these, you know, these ragtag Japanese soldiers, um, and then he transfers and becomes a ragtag Japanese soldier and has to experience it on the other side. And yeah. I thought, well, okay, if you know any... If, if Back in 1960, when Twilight Zone came out, if you know... Anyone. Um, You know someone who either was one of those soldiers or you Uh knew one of those soldiers. You could relate to that person. I don't know how many people can relate to uh, the character uh, of uh, Eve uh, Mm -hmm. in in this series because she's so remote. You know, how many people have a uh, Guatemalan housekeeper? Mm. (laughs) How many people have Mexican landscapers, how many people have landscaping? Um, So I thought that that construction automatically puts us in a world that makes it difficult to relate to what's being happened. And if the whole premise of the episode is based on the idea that you become exactly what you were ignorant of, well, now it's not me becoming that. It's someone I don't know becoming that. And that pulls me out of the story.
1: It kind of ties in with something that I actually did find to be quite valuable in a way, though, because you know one of the conversations over here. Obviously, England is in turmoil at the moment politically in so many ways. You know, it's all over the place. But one of the conversations that we have going on is the, the perceived disconnect between the people who run our country, who make the rules and your average working person. Right. And I just found it really interesting to see Eve go through her life without Anna. And we're jumping ahead slightly because Anna gets taken away. But to kind of see her, what she sees as her day-to-day concerns, liaising with her party planners, doing this, doing that. Mm -hmm. She doesn't think anything of parking her car in two spaces. She doesn't even know how to use her credit card. You know, some people might call that unrealistic I I was okay with it because it, it did kind of speak to that level of okay I'm a working guy I go out to work every day how does a person living you know in London who goes to the House of Commons every day who's a millionaire got a millionaire business on the side how does he know anything about me and my life so I, I found those aspects to it quite interesting, but I, I do see your point of it. It's not really an episode where we can, we can walk in Eve's shoes, I don't think, is it?
0: No, and I, I think that, that um, uh, the, the, the people who in this country, in America, who are most fervent about keeping the immigrants away are not mm. people like Anna. I'm sorry, not people like Eve. Um, right um, They are not people like Eve. they are people who are fearful. they are people who are struggling. they are people who look at someone who is other and say that person is going to keep me from getting what I deserve or what I want or what I need And that is a, a, that is a person uh, not reflected in this episode at all and that, is the engine for this whole phenomenon in the U.S., that and the forces which are stoking um, those attitudes, which are, in fact, powerful forces. But they're not Eve and her coffee-clatch friends. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not to say that Eve and her coffee-clatch friends don't exist in some sphere, and Eve and her coffee-clatch friends do talk that way. I mean, I've got in my own neighborhood, I've got some people like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one woman was pulling out of her driveway and I guess her landscapers had blocked part of her driveway and she just went nuts on them. These are nice. her la- her own landscapers, you know, people who are a hundred percent immigrants who are not making most of the money she pays for her service. Uh, but again, you know, this does happen, but this is not at the core of why people are anti-immigrant in America. And I, I think a stronger case could have been made for a story like this, if the protagonist had reflected the people who share that concern,
1: mm. so you you know you mentioned the the coffee uh, friends there. Now we'll kind of say that Anna gets taken away by these um, agents. We don't really know who they are. I, mm-hmm. I guess we can sort of imagine who their real life counterparts are. But sure. she's taken away by these agents, and Eve is sitting talking with her friends now. I mean, I'll, I'll get this out of the way early, I suppose, because it is it is part of this larger conversation, I think, whereby a lot of people have said they feel this version of the Twilight Zone is a bit on, too much on the nose. You know, it, it's spoon feeding a bit too much when there should be a bit more nuance to it. I've not necessarily shared that view. I kind of did with the Wonderkind, you know, but I feel that even when the episode had only really been on for like, what, 10 minutes or something and they're sitting having coffee and having this Mm -hmm. conversation, I just felt like, okay, now I'm starting to feel that a bit. They don't really need to have this conversation. You've got this story laid out in front where we're going to see Eve go through this sort of ordeal and what have you. I don't think you, you need to kind of have that in parallel with people talking about immigration and so on have the story about it but just you know it it seems a bit too much too early to me
0: you know one of the things i want to talk about that because that's mm-hmm. i want to spend some time on that if i may one of the things sure. that you know ironically the folks behind the x-files were so concerned about was that they never wanted to fall in the trap of being monster of the week episode mm. and I, I feel like now we're in issue of the week with twilight zone and I think that's not only a trap but a rut, um, and and this is where I come back to you know where are the stories of how to be human, where are those stories? Um, I I let's go back a little. This on the nose thing has been bothering me a lot. First of all, that expression I had to kind of get comfortable with because I hadn't heard it before. <laughs> but I know what you mean. You mean you mean uh, heavy handed, blunt, yeah, overly yeah. direct. Um, Rod Serling was famous for saying that uh, he wished he could have written more um, on-the-nose stuff, but mm. networks and advertisers wouldn't stand for it. As a result, he had to not whitewash it so much as, well, in some cases whitewash it, but put it in outer space where suddenly it was foreign uh, and thus acceptable. And that allowed him to create Twilight Zone as, as we know it. Um and I, th- I, I, But here's the question I have for you. Hmm. Do you think that if he had written The Twilight Zone the way he wanted to, instead of the way he did, do you think we'd still be watching it today?
1: Hmm. That's a very interesting question.
0: I'll give you my answer. My answer is absolutely not. I think that the, the subtlety, the way he had to uh, weave these themes under the surface instead of on the surface and in your face... His lack Mm -hmm. of being so didactic, his lack of being so overpowering in most cases, made the stories work on a more subtle level. And, you know, the famous terminology in in screenwriting is show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. There's an awful lot of telling in this episode. I mean, right at the end, we haven't gotten to this yet, but when Jordan Peele sums things up by saying we are all immigrants, I submit to you, Rod Serling never would have written that sentence. Because it is so, if you don't know that by now, <laughs> in the context of this story, then why am I seeing fit to tell you that? So I mm-hmm. think that if he had been able to write the sh- I mean, the stuff Serling wrote for Playhouse 90, I mean, you may have seen all that, but who else has? Who else has hmm. seen Patterns? I haven't seen Patterns. Patterns is arguably more famous in its time than The Twilight Zone was. Um, That was more on the nose. There's another thing, too, that I want to bring up relative to this. Andrew Stanton from Pixar, the guy who did WALL-E and a bunch of other things, has this thing he calls the unifying theory of 2 plus 2. And the unifying theory of 2 plus 2 says you give the audience the equation, but you never give them the answer. They work out the answer for themselves.
1: Do you feel then that if he had been able to be as explicit as maybe he wanted to be, that would have just dated the show.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Because it would have been very much of its time rather than being timeless.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the timeless nature of the show has to do... I mean, we are talking about a show that looks dated. I mean, it's black and white. People are dressed the way they were dressed in 1960. They're almost all dead. I mean, there's nothing that isn't dated about that. But the (laughs) themes of the show... And your ability to appreciate. It. I mean, let me add, let me put this question to you: Have you ever mm. watched an episode of the original Twilight Zone and felt uneasy or uncomfortable after seeing it?
1: Uh, only the Fugitive, but that's for a completely different reason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, um, but you get my point. You've so there's, yeah, there's hundreds of you know however many hundred of episodes of the Twilight Zone, and you don't leave it feeling um, like you're actually on the outside of the experience. You feel welcomed in. You feel like you can, you can empathize with it. You feel like the story can be your story. You don't feel like it's you against the story or you against the screenwriter or the, the TV writer. And uh-huh. I, think that's, I think that's true in both of the past two episodes, both Not All Men and this one. They kind of yeah. provoke that. They're, they're, it's almost like they're intentionally trying to be provocative and uh, when they should intentionally be trying to be engaging.
1: I think that there is a case for saying, though, that we are 60 years removed from that. And what might have been quite uh, provoking then isn't necessarily provoking now, and we're quite comfortable with it. I mean, a a rod-sailing quote that that I've seen recently is that the writer's role is to menace the public's consciousness – He must have a position, a point of view. He must see the arts as a vehicle of social criticism. And he must focus on the issues of his time.
0: But I would add this. I would add this to that quotation. But the writer's job is also to provide a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well... Possibly, but, you know, he has used the word to menace the public's conscience, so that is quite a confrontational uh, thing to say, that he is trying to get his jabs in there, you know? It just may be that after 60 years, those jabs don't quite (laughs) feel as hard as they used to. But why don't we come back to this? Because by the end of the episode, we'll really probably have something to, (laughs) to say about this. So, you know, okay, so Anna's taken away and Eve you know speaks with their friends and like I said I just felt like this was just laying it all out far mm-hmm. too soon but then we get to uh, the point where Eve is taken into custody as well mm-hmm. now let's go to something that I, I really do like in the episode when she's taken into custody um she's taken to this facility and the kind of style of it, again, this is a beautiful show. Yes. And uh, the location they have for this, the clothes that they're wearing, it, it's almost like it is set in the 40s. Maybe they were purposely trying to do that to evoke, you know, uh, memories of Nazis and so on. Possibly. I don't know. But can, can I talk about that for a sec? Absolutely. To me, it looked
0: more like 50s. And, uh-huh. and and in fact, are you familiar with uh, the movies of a guy named Douglas Sirk?
1: No, no, please.
0: Douglas Sirk did a lot of movies back in the 50s, uh, kind of suburban melodramas, the most famous of mm-hmm. which is a movie from 1959 called Imitation of Life. And he was famous for that kind of technicolor, uh, suburban, finely tailored, you know, uh, coffee-clutch melodrama. Um and that kind of '50s look is imbued throughout this thing, and I also uh-huh. think that it suggests, uh, on on a subtle level, that I appreciate that, you know, the world that these people are obsessed with is a world that is in fact long gone. That yeah. you know, the, the 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 vision that they have is a vision that no longer exists, um, and uh, I I also kind of felt like it it um, reminded me of the movie Gattaca, which you may have seen with Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke from the late nineties, which is Mm -hmm. also kind of in that kind of retro, but modern era. Uh, And that movie, by the way, is about a guy who has genetic inferiorities and has to masquerade as one who doesn't so that he can go into space. So there's some thematic similarity there. Uh, But fundamentally it just, I I read it as saying, you know, uh, if this is where you're, if, if, this is what you're thinking is your home is in a place that no longer exists.
1: I really like that, Mark. Yes. Yeah. That's a great observation, absolutely. Now, when she's there, she she meets Anna and I think there's a kind of through line with these two characters. Early on, she is Anna's talking about can my can we put down that my grandson lives at your address. So we can get them to a particular school and so on. Then they both meet at, at this facility. So they're really on a kind of equal footing now. Mm-hmm. The status is gone; mm-hmm. they are just at the same level in this facility. And and I guess this this is where the cut co- the kind of sci-fi element begins to come into it. Now Eve is taken to meet these other women. Slightly hokey, the opening of the wall. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, that they have this sort of thing in the in the facility. But we'll we'll go with it. Mm-hmm. So she she then finds out that actually, or she's starting to find out that that she is from another dimension. So what do you think of this this part of the story?
0: Well, first of all, the the, the meeting with Anna in this facility. Um, it, it's interesting. Anna goes full frontal, uh, uh, lecture honor. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) You know, how could, you don't know what my kids, you don't know my grandkids. I've, I've lived in your house for 11 years. You don't know anything about me. You don't know I'm from Guatemala, even though earlier in the show, it was mentioned I was from Guatemala. And, um, again, in terms of on the nose conversation, uh, these two have been in the same household for 11 years. They've never had an honest conversation. That's, uh, but I, you know, we'll call that artistic license. Um, the point where Eve, you know, it dawns on, or it's suggested to Eve that there's more to her backstory than she is consciously aware of. I actually Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and also there was a line in there that said, um, you have to remember so that they don't get it from you. You know, so they don't Mm. extract it from you under, uh, I guess, the premise is that if you know your backstory, you can obscure it. Otherwise, they're going to trick you into telling them what it is, which is exactly what happens.
1: I actually think that if this was the first we'd seen of any suggestion that there was something amiss with Eve or that this episode was about immigration and so on. If this was the face we we'd seen of it, it, it would have been much better. Hmm. Because like we said before, we, we knew from the beginning where this one was going. So if they'd have, you know, had her living her life at the beginning and so on, but not been so... Remote. Yeah. Then to just have this happen here is a bit more of a, whoa, you know, pulled the rogue out from under you. Actually, she's not even human.
0: No, she's a cartoon. That's the problem. She's a, at the beginning. She's clearly a cartoon. Not to say there aren't people like that, but again, the Hollywood Hills <laughs> are full mm-hmm. of them. Um, you know, uh, but uh, that's that's not the experience most people have. And again, it just makes it harder for us to relate to her.
1: That being said, uh, the actress. Who plays uh, Jennifer Goodwin? I really enjoyed watching her. I I thought she she put in a really good performance here. What what do you think of her? Oh,
0: she's terrific. I remember her from. Uh, I'm trying to remember the HBO show um, she was in. Um, that she was terrific in that as well. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. she is just terrific. I I can't see enough of her. In fact, you know, as as is typical of the of this modern Twilight Zone, the performances are almost always outstanding. The actors are almost always great. The production and direction and and, uh, cinematography is almost always um, extraordinary. Um, None of that stuff is ever lacking. It's funny that Mm -hmm. what often charges people up are challenges in the story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Another actor in it who I really enjoy and I think is always really dependable uh, is James Frain as the Alan Dale. Now, we're, we'll jump forward a little bit because we have these scenes where Eve is on some sort of machine. She has a device on her face. Mm-hmm. And did you spot the little um, the little throwback there? No, what was... Well, you know the mask that they put on their face? Yeah. It's the shape of it, if you look carefully, <laughs> is the pig-faced people from Eye of the Beholder. <laughs> um, and I also... Thought when they first put her on this thing, and James Frayne starts talking about dimensions mm-hmm. and different realities and so on, it, it was almost like he was an evil Rod Serling. You know, <laughs> did, did you get that vibe from him?
0: I didn't get he was, yeah, he could have been. You're right, he could have been, he would be an interesting guy to play a Rod Serling character in something, definitely the yeah. evil Rod Serling. <laughs>
1: I guess we don't really need to go through the story beat by beat, but it, it is very much, you know, we have this scene where Eve goes home, but it's actually all part of the simulation. Mm-hmm. And she's at the facility. Who can she trust? Who can she not trust? And, and I do like this kind of story. It It very much reminds me of... Did you ever see an old British show called The Prisoner?
0: Yes, I remember. I was I watched it as a kid and was utterly confused by it. I didn't understand yeah. why these giant balls were bouncing around and why people <laughs> were on like uh, you know tricycles or whatever the heck it was. I you know, I but uh, yes, I I do remember. Patrick McGowan, right?
1: Yeah, classic, classic. But so I do like these stories where it's like okay, can you trust this person they seem like they're helping you but they're not and you know all all this kind of switching around so I am I am enjoying it at this point yes it's
0: kind of a Kafka-esque thing is what it is
1: definitely definitely now Eve is then offered this chance of escape Mm -hmm. so we'll kind of talk our way through to to the end of the episode if you like sure um just just Give me your thoughts on it, uh, Mark. What, what do you think of this, this final sequence in the show?
0: You mean the final sequence where she escapes, where Otto tells her how to get out and shows her the way and uh, off to the uh-huh. ice cream truck she goes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, I, I uh, really, I, I think at this point, most of the heavy handedness is over, right? Because I think this is the point where you yeah. actually don't know quite what's going to happen. At least that's how I felt. Um, I didn't know. What, is she going to get away? I actually thought she was going to get away right up until she uh, uh, Anna separates from her because Anna won't climb aboard the ice cream truck that's supposed to save her, the one that's been playing Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land from the beginning of the episode. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you caught it on there, but as, uh, as Eve climbs on board this ice, ice cream truck, which Anna doesn't trust, Eve says that she has to do this she is quote I have no I don't have a choice she says and Anna replies we always have a choice and it Mm -hmm. seems to me that that's kind of you know the bottom line to this episode and interestingly the bottom line to last week's episode so here we have kind of the same not the same theme necessarily but the same one of the same elements of the theme is that we always have a choice in fact it might be possible to say in the entire new new twilight zone that the theme of the entire season is we always have a choice and mm-hmm. i think that's actually a, a useful message
1: definitely that's it I, i'm kind of i'm really on board at this point like you said yeah i don't really know how this is going to end you know it, Is she going to be redeemed in some way? Because I'm not really sure we can apply the kind of cosmic justice aspect to this episode. It just doesn't seem to be working that way. Mm -hmm. I think my takeaway here is at the end when they are escaping, Anna says, you know, I've done this before. Now, Mm -hmm. is she referring to the original um, Exodus from their other dimension? Or is she referring to the fact that Eve got lucky she came to America and she's had this great life. Anna went to Guatemala and the the differences between these two women is purely where they landed when they came from this other dimension right so when she, when she when she's saying, you know I've done this before, she's possibly talking about when she came to America mm-hmm. uh, to work there. I, I'm, I'm not too sure about that. But, you know, for, for me, that that's the theme of, of this episode, really, that we are kind of all one step away from being in that position. If we are in a place like America or England, you, you could say we've been quite lucky to, to land where we are because mm-hmm. we have certain we enjoy certain things in, in our day-to-day lives and so on that other people through no fault of their own through birth don't have those those opportunities if you like so likewise you know a meteor could hit england tomorrow mm-hmm. and i would be you know swimming to belgium <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you know it, and, and my whole world it could be on the other foot as well so I'm I'm happy with that message, you know. It's 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 a good one, and I I'm fine with New Twilight Zone covering that. But mm-hmm. as a as a kind of what what are you getting from this episode, Mark?
0: I think I get that. I think I do get that. I think that um, you're right, and I also think that the idea that, like I said, I mean, the the existence of a choice is um, is something you do always have. So you know, mm-hmm. you can look the other way. If you choose, but that too is a choice. Uh, you can mm-hmm. yell at your uh, landscapers because they're blocking your driveway. That's a choice. You can choose to wave at them as you pass. Uh, or you can yell at them when they're blocking your way. And I I, th- I think this is a useful reminder. Again, it's, I just wish it came um, in the context of characters that we could relate to better. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would have made a vast difference. Difference. Obviously we can relate to Anna. Some of us can. Um, yeah. but we can't relate to Eve. Um, and I, I, I just I find that to be a real obstacle to this. And then the on the noseness doesn't help matters when references are made to things like uh, pilgrims and neighboring mm-hmm. dimensions, I mean neighboring dimensions. It doesn't get more specific than that uh, when you're talking about immigrants from across the border. Um, mm-hmm. there were gray skies and we were looking for blue skies. I mean, that's, that's almost cliche if not cliche. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know why they had to take it to 11 here, um, mm-hmm. in order to get their point made. Um, it's still, it's a good point. It's an important point. It's when we should recognize, yes, we always have a choice. We can also all make a difference. I mean, remember Mm. at the end of the episode, all her neighbors are out there standing across the street watching her being taken away. They're all just like her and by association just like us. And they do and say nothing. They do and say nothing. And that is why I object to the fact that the first words of Jordan Peele's ending summation are, we are all immigrants. I mean, they're all right across the street from her. You know, we know they're all immigrants. We don't need to be told that. And I think that that kind of... You know, just just waving it in our face like that dis- detracts from the power of, of of the episode could have had, especially because it's so well made.
1: Just out of interest, you know, I I see America on the news, and you know how much I love America. Sure. I've said it many many times, and I've spent many years here, years there. Sorry. You say that Eve isn't the the kind of vessel you would have chosen, if you like, that the person to take us through this story. What? What would have been a more fitting main character for you? And I, I don't mean to have you rewrite the whole thing, but you know, just to give me that idea of, of where the American kind of headspace is at.
0: Well, I think someone, you know, if you if you if you were to pick a kind of archetypical, for lack of a better term, um, uh, 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 um, opponent of immigration. Mm. You would find someone, like I said before, who's economically challenged, who's fearful, who's a traditionalist, who's a gun owner, who is struggling, who has family members who are struggling, who doesn't have it all, who doesn't have the fancy house on the hill and the and the uh, the in-home nanny. Um, mm-hmm. That would be the person that you would want to see make that transformation. Um, yeah. And that would be the person, I think, that more people who felt that way could relate to. Um, as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the the person who talks under her breath in the Hollywood Hills. Um, yeah. Again, not no less real, but far less numerous and not nearly so relatable.
1: Interesting, interesting. Um, now, as far as the ending goes, it, it, it is quite a straightforward one, isn't it? I wouldn't so much say there was a twist here as such. It, it really is just quite a, a straight ahead conclusion to the story. Do you feel it? it um is negatively impacted because there's not a twist.
0: It's I heard somebody say something recently uh, interesting um uh, about twists and uh, the comment was about um the last uh, the last scene of Planet of the Apes which you're very well acquainted with.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, what he said was he said you know that ending with the statue of law wasn't a twist. That was exactly the ending that needed to happen based on the entire theme of the story, which was really about um, the inhumanity of humans, of people. Uh-huh. And that is exactly how such a story should end. And I thought, you know what? That's true. Um, that is exactly how that story should end. It's a twist. On, it's really a surprise, maybe. But if you think, if you reflect on it, it's exactly the right ending to the story. So I don't go in looking mm-hmm. for twists here. I go in looking for... Does this story? Is there a bow on this story which makes me appreciate the 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 you know the journey all the more? And um, in this case, I think the 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 bow actually came before the actual end of the story, when Anna said, we always have a choice." Um, that wow. to me is where the story really ends, because what happens? And and notably, when Eve goes home what does her husband and her kids do well they shy away from her uh, they yeah. they too have a choice she wants them to go with her to run with her to hide with her to flee with her and they say no their choice is no um uh-huh. and again i think anybody looking at that would 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 say well that's not the choice i hope i would make and there's learning involved in that and that's why i think that's a that's in many ways the better ending
1: i've always been one to say that Not every Twilight Zone had a twist either. And I like what you've said there. Some just ended the story the way the story should have ended. And so I'm quite happy with this one. So it's quite a strange experience for me, this episode. It's one that I didn't dislike. I would still put a kind of mid-tier. You know, there's still a lot to get from it. But again, I'm not going to be one of those fans who wants to remake something right. just because you know like these game of thrones people with the petition these days <laughs> and like i said I, i've been more or less happy with the season so far i've not always agreed with the fact that it it's spoon feeding us mm-hmm. but this is one where even i was like come on guys you know <laughs> let's just pull let's just pull this back a bit you know i would have got rid of the coffee scene mm-hmm. you know maybe had some of that early stuff with anna just to just to establish the world but again that there needs to be that room for self-reflection sometimes and we see glimpses of this other dimension you could have even expanded that into some pretty you know hard sci-fi see that this is just a really horrible place for them to live mm-hmm. so the audience is sitting there saying of course these people would want to leave there you know why would they not want to and and who are we to say they shouldn't want a better life you know just just to have that bit of room for self-reflection but I I do feel that this one was heavy-handed and you know it's a shame it's a shame but I guess it's a balancing act and, th- and this time they fell off.
0: Well, again, I, I go back to, you know, again, and I don't take it from me, take it from Andrew Stanton and the guys at Pixar, but mm-hmm. give them the equation two plus two and let the audience figure out that it adds up to four. Um, yeah. And that, and I, I will say in most cases, whether it was because that's what he wanted to do or because what the network and advertisers forced on him, that is what Rod Serling did more often than mm-hmm. not. And I, I think even when it comes to something like, you know, the, the Statue of Liberty at the end of, of, of Planet of the Apes, um, that tr- that isn't a twist ending. That's the perfect ending. And there's a difference.
1: It sounds to me like you're maybe a, probably not quite as much of a fan as the new series as I am. Um, but you've still you've still enjoyed it maybe but you you've a few more reservations than me
0: well i look i appreciate the fact that they're doing this uh i mm-hmm. really really do jordan peele is incomparable um yeah but you know you've got to get not everything is get out in us and uh-huh. uh, you know you can't take that model and apply it to all of of twilight zone simply because the legacy of rod serling looms so large i mean let's you know they're they're still story is story and story is even bigger than rod and i think that uh, that's what should be worshipped here and if you want to have a point that's perfectly legitimate Um, and uh, not only legitimate but it's quite frankly it's not a very good story without one so i i embrace that and i love the ambition of the season i really really do i watch every single episode you know I'm subscribing to CBS On Demand just for this, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I couldn't be happier uh, with it. I just wish they would take themselves a tiny bit less seriously, and I also wish they would remember that Rod Serling had uh, a a strong intellect, but he also had a very large heart. And I'd like to see more of that reflected in this generation's Twilight Zone.
1: So which episode do you feel um, they've got it most right?
0: I, I will honestly say I haven't yet seen A Passage for Trumpet with Jack yeah. Klugman in this series. I'm waiting for that. And that will be the episode. Maybe it's nine or ten. <laughs> that, <laughs> that will be the episode that says to me, this is, this is bigger than everything else. It's like, and, you know, I, I, I can't stress that enough. I'm waiting for the series to move beyond social conscience to kind of, uh, moral conscience and, um, spiritual Mm. conscience and human conscience. And I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the episode that says, you know, and I think the comedian actually did this to some degree where it said, you know, here's how to be a better person. Um, and that's kind of what I'm waiting for. Is the "Here's How to Be a Better Person" episode
1: pull back the more personal kind of experience that we can all relate to? Exactly,
0: the more universal kind of experience, and and appreciate the fact that yes, you know, you can make the points of, and look, someone's got to make these points about toxic masculinity and immigration uh, uh, and and so on in politics. These are really valid points. I'm glad they're being made, but I would like them not to be the only things that are made.
1: Mark it's uh, it's been a it's been really great to talk to you about this man and you know you've brought some really insightful and challenging things to this show and and I've always said this doing this it's not all about just sitting here and saying how great it is to have a new twilight zone yeah because you know we all love this show we all want it to succeed sure but you know sometimes that means taking those those tougher stances and saying okay well We want it to succeed, but maybe that just needs to look at this aspect of it. And, And so it's been really good to get your thoughts on this, man. Thank you.
0: Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And keep, you know, let's all keep in mind, you can, if you really love your children, you're not afraid to discipline them if it's going to help them grow up better. (laughs) <laughs> and that's how I, that's how i see this <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's perfect that's perfect um we spoke about it at the beginning mark but um where can where can people see your stuff not just inside star wars but the previous things you've done too
0: well um you could start with inside star wars since that's current that's inside star we also if you wherever you get your podcast you can go looking for inside jaws and inside uh, psycho and inside the exorcist. And we even did a thing for the movie Philadelphia for uh, Coke. That was only two episodes that was about, that was to help uh, raise uh, awareness and money f- to fight AIDS in Africa. And that nice. was called people like us inside Philadelphia. So we've, we've done a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff out there. We've got a thing right now. That's on uh, uh, that's actually interesting. That's on uh, Louis Armstrong. Um, that's voiced by an actor named reno wilson who people will know mm. from shows like mike and molly and uh, uh good girls um as lewis armstrong and uh that i wrote and that's called pops and that's out available right now and we've got other things that we're working on with you know david harbour from stranger things and sarah wayne callies from the walking dead and all kinds wow. of and uh, uh ed o'neill from uh, modern family so we've got all kinds of things coming up that'll be fun. But the, the biggest thing on my radar right now, besides listening to your show, and I'm not kidding, is <laughs> good man is uh, Inside Star Wars.
1: Excellent. I can't wait. I can't wait. Cool. I think we all know the routine by now. This show will go out on the 18th. If you can get your thoughts in by the 19th to be included in the listener feedback show, then please do by emailing me at tz2019 at thetwilighttonepodcast.com. Now, the next episode, which I believe is called Blue Scorpion maybe, uh, drops on Thursday the 23rd. It kind of drops at a really busy time for me, so unfortunately the Twilight Zone podcast won't be out until Monday the 27th. But, same as always, if you can get your thoughts in on that that episode by Sunday the 26th to that email address. Now, unfortunately, because that is such a busy time for me, I am going to have to insist that i i can only really use the audio submissions on that one because i'm just not going to have the time to put that together i'm afraid so if you could just do that by the 26th, I, I would really appreciate it mark you know i said that at the beginning and i'll say it again i can't wait for inside star wars but it's been a real pleasure to sit and talk to one of my podcast and heroes man so thank you so much for doing this. right back
0: at you tom i couldn't be more happy with the stuff that you're doing and more grateful that you're doing it so th- thank you and by the way anybody who's listening to this and does not support tom on patreon get thee to patreon.com now <laughs> and support tom because uh it's it's uh it's the best money you'll spend to support a worthy cause
1: thank you man thank you Okay, so that is the Twilight Zone podcast for this week and we will speak to you next time. Bye for now.